me talk at you guys. I can't wait. <laughs> I've had a lot of caffeine today and uh, a lot of the Holy Spirit, too. I want more of the Holy Spirit than I want caffeine, though, but God is good. And all the time. All right. Can you do me a favor? Um, uh, Gage, I'm sorry. I got you talking. Grab me a stool, too. I got extra stuff. So, yeah, my bad. I was going to use that, but I decided I wanted this. I got these new contacts, and I'm going to see if I can see my notes today. <laughs> That's cool. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Buddy, let's pray. Can we pray? All right. It's a house of prayer, right? Let's pray and ask the Lord to come and speak, move on our hearts, open our eyes, open our hearts, give us willing spirits, help us pay attention, Lord. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. God, I thank you for how awesome you are. God, I pray that you would move on our hearts today. Move on our hearts, Lord Jesus. Soften our hearts. Sometimes the world just hardens our heart. Sometimes we allow the world to harden our heart, I should say. Sometimes the worries of this wor world choke out the life of God in us. God, I pray for every single person today that's here that has worries, Lord, that they would lay them down at your feet, that you are God, that you are good, that you are faithful, that we would trust and learn from you. God, I thank you. This month we have been studying about covenant relationship, about partnering with you. We have learned from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that you are the God of the living and not the dead. And God, we are alive in Christ today. And Lord, we want to do your will. We want to partner with you. We want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, we want to see our children blessed. We want to see our children's children blessed. God, we want to see an awakening in our land again, in our communities, in our jobs, in our schools. God, we want you. And Lord, we ask you today to open our eyes that we would see what you're doing, to open our ears that we would hear what the Spirit is speaking, to give us a willing spirit that we would be in step with what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So we're going to sum up today the series that we've been on all month called The Covenant. And if you've been here all month or you've been watching online, except for last week when our cameras weren't working, are they working today? Hey, hey, everyone on Internet land. I sound like Pastor Earl now on Internet land. I'm not that old. I know what the Internet is, mostly. <laughs> Hello, everyone. But we are going to be wrapping up this sermon series today on the covenant. And the message today is called Blessings, Birthrights, and Boundaries. Ooh, we about to get into it, y'all. Blessings, Birthrights, and Boundaries. And we're going to talk about the patriarchs. We're going to talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we're going to even get a little bit into Joseph today and the 12 sons here. So this sermon series started with the word covenant. What is covenant? This is a lot of a recap here today, too, and then we're going to bring it all in together. Covenant, an agreement between at least two parties that binds them to each other regarding certain obligations and entitlements. Remember those two words, obligations and entitlements, okay? So this whole series, if you could pick one passage that wraps it all up or at least begins it, maybe not wraps it up, but begins it. It begins in Genesis chapter 12. You know, I'm a nerd out for just a minute. I've told you some of you guys this before, but Genesis is the framework of Genesis. It means the beginnings or the origins. Chapter 1 to 11 is the origins of humanity, the beginning of sin, the fall of man, um, God's uh, destruction of the earth through the flood with Noah, Tower of Babel has all these beginnings, and it shows the beginning of God's restoration to mankind, which gets really, um, it starts very broad, and then it narrows down in chapters 12 through 50 to what is, uh, theologians call the chosen family, and that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that's the forefathers of the nation of Israel. And so here we see the covenant that God makes, and he chooses Abraham. In chapter 12, 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and leave your kindred and your family's house to the land that I will show you, 
and I will make you a great nation and will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Why is his name great? So what was the purpose of his name being great here? I just read it. So you will be a blessing, right? Because we see in the first 11 chapters, when people try to make their name great for themselves, it doesn't work good. Look at the Tower of Babel. People trying to make their name great. It didn't work out well for them, okay? But this is Abram here in chapter 12. God saying, I'm going to use you to make your name great so that you can be a blessing to others. And then he goes on and says, I will bless those who bless you. And, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So all the families of the earth shall be blessed because of this covenant here. So we talked about a covenant. It is an agreement or partnership. It has certain obligations and certain entitlements. So from here we see the entitlement is land, offspring, and blessing. That is the, that's what God is promising Abram. That's his entitlements. But there's obligations that when we read through the rest of chapter 12, again, it's reiterated in chapter 15 and throughout the uh, rest of Genesis. The obligation is, hey, Abram, I'm making your name great, but not just for you and not even just for your children, but for all the nations. And so you have to serve me faithfully. Right? There is obligations there. Okay, so the, the obligations is to serve and be faithful to God alone. The entitlement is land, offspring, and blessings. And the purpose is to cause the nations to come to God. So God wants to make this covenant, not just with Abram, but he has a new covenant through Christ Jesus that he wants to make with you, a partnership with you, to bless you, and to use you so that other people can come to know him. How cool is that? He wants to partner with you, okay? This, this is what the scripture in the New Testament says about all these narratives that we're reading through the book of Genesis. It says this in Romans 15 and 4. It says, such things were written in scripture long ago to teach us. To do what? Teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we patiently, Lord help us, as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. So today, we're going to do what the scripture says, and we're going we're gonna to look at these patriarchs, and we're going to look at their narratives, and we're going to see what can it teach us so that we can walk in the new covenant, the promise that we have in Jesus Christ to partner with God and to see more people come to know him. That needs to be all of our purpose here. And we're going to learn these lessons from what the title of this message is, Blessings, Birthrights, and Boundaries. Woo! Blessings. Blessings. If you want to break down what blessings means in, in a way that maybe can help you remember, it just simply means life. Or what I like to say, abundant life. Abundant life. Jesus said that he didn't uh, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but he comes to give life and that more abundantly. Okay, so this blessing is of the abundant life that God has called us to. And we see this in the patriarchs. We see this through their narratives, through their stories, that God called them to have an abundant life. It says, we, we read it, and all the families on the earth shall be blessed because of your life. Your blessings are not just for yourself, but they're for your children and your children's children, and they're for the world. How cool is that? So a common theme that we see threaded throughout the entire narrative of the patriarchs is that they always had a season of barrenness before blessings. And so often in our Christian walk, we're ready for that abundant life, that blessing that God has promised us, and we don't know how to wait patiently for it in our season of barrenness. We heard the promise, and we want it right now. Hello, we're Americans. We live in the microwave generation. They even call the church, theologians call it the McDonaldization of the church. <laughs> no, seriously, this is what theologians are calling the time period that we're living in. We want it fast, now, ready. We want, we want, we want to go to church to see what church can do for us instead of how we can partner and serve and do things for the Lord. And we got things twisted. 
Yeah, we got to twist it. But God wants to get us, he wants to straighten us out today that we can see that the blessings that he gives us is not just for us, but it is for the nations. And we learn more in our times of barrenness than we do in the seasons of, of abundance. And it makes us appreciate it more. I was just in the car with one of my children, and we were talking about growing up with, with less than other people around us. And, and, and one of my children said, but you know what? It's made me appreciate when God, you know, provides blessings. Because if everything is just handed to you all the time, then, and you get, as soon as you want something, you think it, boom, it's like the magic genie and, you know, and, and, and the little lamp is like, let me rub it, and boom, there it is, right, right away. If it happened like that, you would have no character. And so here we see these patriarchs in a season of barrenness. I mean, look, look at this thread, right? Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. They couldn't conceive. They were in a season of being barren, empty, fruitless. And then finally, they're like, you know what? I'm going to put this. I'm going to make this happen myself. Uh, Sarah's like, here, take this. This lady, she works for me. Bam. Uh, Ishmael comes. That's not exactly how God wanted it to happen. And yet it happened. Because sometimes in our season of barrenness, we try to make things happen on our own, right? Like God gave me this problem. I'm going to work, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it happen. Some theologians believe that it wasn't even necessarily a sinful moment of, of them. It was this them believing by faith that God was going to do something and thinking they were partnering with God. They were just deceived. That's another theme that we're going to talk about here in a moment. But Isaac and, and Rebecca, I love their narrative here. They also went through a season of barrenness. But Isaac learned from his fathers. Come on, somebody. Can we please learn from our parents' mistakes instead of constantly repeating them, right? What's Pete Scazzaro say? Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. Like, we need to be aware of the, the familiar spirits. We need to be aware of family, generational sin in our life. And don't think that, oh, I'm not going to fall victim into it. If your father did and your grandfather did or your mother did and your grandmother did, you're gonna, you got to put up boundaries, which we're going to talk about momentarily. However, Isaac actually learned from this. And so his wife was barren again. And instead of trying to make something happen, he's the only one of the patriarchs. He doesn't get enough credit. He's the middle one. There's all, you know, there's a lot more story in Genesis about Abraham and about Jacob. That's probably because sometimes the, the children that mess up the most, unfortunately, sometimes get the most attention, right? The one that does right, we might talk less about them, but here's Isaac. And <clears throat> instead of making it happen, he, the word of God says that he prayed. And God opened his wife's womb. In our season of barrenness, are we praying? Are we believing? Are we having faith? Here's Jacob. Same thing, uh, you know, happened to Jacob. Not with Leah. That woman was a baby-making machine. But he didn't even want her. That was another story that we can get into momentarily as well. But Rachel, the wife that he loved, her womb wasn't open. There was a season of barrenness. And yet God finally did open her womb. And, and Joseph, really, we see <laughs> some of the things that he said towards the end of Genesis really sums up the whole book that we're going to get into. But yet there still, again, was a season of barrenness. Okay? God wants to teach us a lesson here, friends, that before our blessings come, we're most likely going to go through trials. Our faith is most likely going to be tested. And God tests our faith to see what we're made of. What kind of character do we have? When someone comes at us the wrong way and, and, and speaks ill of us, how are we going to react? When, when someone does us wrong, how are we going to react? When, when life doesn't happen the way we think it should happen, maybe we hit some bumps along the road, how are we going to continue to persevere? Or are we going to give up and try to make it happen on our, on our own? Are we going to... As the Bible says, don't uh, finish in the flesh what began in the spirit. It says this in Galatians. So often we want to finish in the flesh what God began in the spirit. Because barrenness is difficult. It's, it's a, wilderness would be another term that could be used almost interchangeably with this word barrenness. It's a lack. It's feeling like a lack. There's a, it's a, fruitful, a fruitlessness. 
But God is doing something in our character during that season. So I just want to nail that one into the ground so you guys get it. Are you in a season of barrenness? Hold on. Your breakthrough is coming. Your breakthrough is coming. But you got to hold on. You got to stand firm. Blessings come from barrenness. Okay, so we see this blessing um, with, with these patriarchs, and their blessing was with offspring, but also their bless, blessing was with prosperity. I've always had a hard time understanding prosperity because when Josh and I really gave our hearts over to the Lord in the late 90s, there was this prosperity gospel that went out, and it turned me so off. You know, it was like, give me $9.99, and I'll give you this holy water, and, and you'll be saved. You know, all that kind of weird stuff that was going on during that season. And so when, when we got saved, we're like, we're going to give everything up for Jesus. And, in, and there was a season in our ministry that I began to develop a poverty mindset, and I didn't even realize that. And it came from, you know, the point that I just didn't want to do the prosperity gospel thing. <laughs> and so I went from one extreme to another extreme, and God's like, I want to bless you. I want to give you good things, but it's not for you. It's for you to steward and for you to share with those around you. God wants to bless us. He wants to, give, he wants to prosper us. And we see this in, in these narratives with the patriarchs. Look at the blessing of Abraham. Um, Abraham went to war, rescued Lot. <laughs> there's really, I feel like there's like more stories with Abraham and Lot than, than even with some of his children. That was like his first son before he had his own children, his nephew who's like a spiritual son. And, and, and so uh, Lot was uh, in chapter 13. We can see that he was captured and Abraham joined some, some other forces, and he went to war to rescue Lot. He was like, give me my boy back. And, he, and God was with him and his people, and they won that battle. And what happened there is we see then the king of Sodom actually wants to pay tribute. you got to go back and read this. I don't have time for it. I wanna, I'm basically giving you an overview of the whole last half of Genesis, okay? So the king of Sodom, and you know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So most Likely, Sodom was very, the king of Sodom was very evil, but he wanted to pay tribute to Abraham because Abraham won this war. And Abraham refused because in his mind, he did not want any man to make him rich. His richness and his blessings and his prosperity came from God and God alone. As a matter of fact, along the way, then he comes across this prophet priest king named Melchizedek. Okay? And Melchizedek, um, very interesting. A lot of the, I've I've done some research on this in my Torah class that I just finished, and I never heard this, but there's different um, perspectives and views on who this man was. Some people, which I never realized until I read it, they believe that maybe he was Shem. Do you got you, you guys know who Shem is? Noah had three sons, and Shem was one of them. Okay, and so if you actually go back and you add up the math and, and, and where they have, like, the descendants and they list it, it could be possible that maybe he was Shem, which maybe is why he wanted to honor him. And Abraham gave a tenth of his riches, his blessings, to this king. However, I kind of fall in the camp of the second um, theory is that most, a lot of people believe that it was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And this is kind of the way I lean towards I believe it was Jesus, a pre-incarnate, um, you know, manifestation of Jesus, and he gave a tenth of what he had to him. How cool is that? Whatever it is, whatever can't be fallen into, what we learn from this narrative is that Abraham was not greedy with what he had. He wasn't greedy with what he had. We have so many people, you know, the prosperity gospel messed up the church so much that most of the church, if you are under 50 years old, most likely, you don't tithe anything. A lot, a lot of people, now some, some, some people do, maybe some people have learned, but it, it's definitely um, something that has been lost in the younger generations. I would say my generation and down, Gen X, millennials, and elder Gen Z, probably is something that they haven't learned to do because they, they want to say, oh, it's, it's one of the laws that don't apply to us anymore, and blah, 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 and they do all their little studies justifying why they're greedy. <laughs> For the most part. Now, if it's someone's like, I'm not tithing because I'm, I'm not giving 10%, I'm giving 50%. Well, hey, do you, boo? Like, what well, you know? But most of the time, people who want to make this argument don't even give 10% to the kingdom. And it's not because 
it really bothers me when people are like, oh, these, these pastors who get rich. Stop watching televangelists and mega pastors. They are the minority. Most churches are between 80 and 100 people, and pastors are barely making it. I'm studying clinical counseling right now, and there's a, a ministry that we have in this area called Emerge Ministries that really pours in counseling into pastors. And one of the biggest stressors in pastors' lives is finances because they're not making it. Okay, so it's not because, stop buying that false narrative that you're making somebody rich. <laughs> it's not about, it's about giving to God. It's about God can do more with your 90% than what he can do, what, than 100%. Come on, thank you, somebody. Can the boomers give me an amen? Because the church has thanks you for keeping us alive. Hallelujah. <laughs> I said, I, when I was younger, I used to be like, okay, boomer. Now I'm like, okay, boomer, teach me something. Okay. <laughs> Listen, we got to learn from this. Look at some of these great cathedrals that have been built. You think they just like popped out the ground from nothing? No, that was people who sacrificed and gave. And I have to say this, because I want you guys to know as I'm saying this, I'm not even talking about you guys in here, because most of you in here are givers. Most of you in this room have sacrificed. Look at this church. We're, we're like Gideon's army, okay? And we've, in just a few, uh, just a year, have raised $107,000 already. And we've only been pressing it the last couple of months. So praise God for your faithfulness. We thank you, and we know God is going to do more. However, there may be a few in this room that are like, hmm, I've never really thought about this. Listen, God wants to bless you like he did Abraham, but we got to be willing to give back so that he can, he can bless what we have. Amen? Okay, and we see, we see the same thing. I'm sorry I nerded out for a minute, okay? But we see the same thing um, with Isaac. He was so blessed that when the famine happened, jo Pastor Josh spoke about this, he didn't have to go to Egypt. God just blessed him where he was at, right? We see the same thing with Jacob. Jacob, uh, his uncle got blessed because of Jacob. I'm going to tell you, some of you guys have a Jacob anointing. You're going to go work for a business, and that business is going to be blessed because you're there. <laughs> that's the anointing that's on your life, and God sees it. He sees that anointing on your life, but we got to stay faithful. We got to stay faithful. Okay? So Genesis 31, 42 through 43, um, this, this talks about the difference, and I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing here. Uh, this talks about the difference. Actually, I'm going to. I'm looking at my time. You know what? Woo, I have a lot of information today. Listen, I haven't talked in like two weeks, so there's a lot. A lot of information going on here, okay? <laughs> so right here, um, this, is, this is when Jacob was leaving his uncle's property and land to go do what God has called him to do. A lot, a lot of the old theologians um, kind of compared this to when in Genesis chapter 12 when God called Abram out. This was God calling Jacob out to go into the promised land that God had for him. So it, um, this is Jacob. He said, if the God of my father, the God of Jacob, or excuse me, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. He's talking to his uncle. God saw my afflictions and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these, my daughters, for their, for, or for their children whom they have born? Okay, notice the difference between the way Jacob spoke and the way Laban spoke. Okay, Jacob is saying, it was the God of my fathers who did this. And Laban's over here saying, those are my daughters <laughs> and my grandchildren. And my livestock, and it's, it's mine. So the big difference here, and this is really cool because this is when we start to see Jacob change, okay? Because Jacob was, he was a shrewd man. So was Laban. It's funny how we reap what we sow, and I'm going to get on that in a minute underneath birthrights. But Jacob was a shrewd man, but we see a difference here happening. And what, what the difference was is Jacob finally got to a place that he credited God for his blessings, and not man. So despite both Laban and Jacob being deceitful, shrewd, and hard workers, the most significant difference between them is how they viewed their wealth. In contrast, 
Laman claimed credit for it, and Jacob credited God. Amen? All right. So here, here we are. We, we, we've got blessings. Blessings means life. It means our children. It means the prosperity that God gives us so we can give back to him and, and further the kingdom, okay? And now we're going to talk about how we can learn from the patriarchs with birthrights. Ooh, birthrights, if I could break it down in one word, it means leadership. And we see that these men, <laughs> these patriarchs, fought with their brothers over and over and over through the book of Genesis for leadership. Not understanding that leadership is influence, and every single one of us has influence. Every single one of us has a measure of influence, a measure of leadership. And so we've got to learn from the patriarchs here and how to steward our leadership well. When the patriarchs sinned in the Bible, they tried to make sense of their birthright and their leadership roles in their own mind. Sometimes we try to make sense of things with our own logic, and we miss out on what God wants to do. Come on, somebody. They were seeking to make sense of God's word in light of their circumstances instead of walking by faith. How many times do we do this? Another common theme that's seen throughout the narrative of the patriarchs is the pattern of deception. God called them to leadership so that they could lead people to know him, so that nations could look to this nation of Israel and say, who is their God? I want to serve their God. And instead, anytime hardship came their way, anytime they felt their life was threatened, they gave in to deception. Abraham lied about Sarah. We're not going to go too far into that because we've discussed that um, over and over in the last few weeks. But he lied about Sarah being his wife and called him called her his sister to both Pharaoh and to, um, to the other king, Amalek, right? He lied twice about it. And then Isaac, he, he might have learned to pray for his wife when she was barren, but he lied about her being his sister, okay? These, girl, these women were looking good. <laughs> Jacob, Jacob lied so much, I don't even have time to tell you how many times Jacob lied. His name literally means deceiver, right? Deception became a pattern. Again, Jesus can live in our heart, but grandpa lives in our bones. We better fight against those things. If, if your dad committed adultery and your grandpa committed adultery, you better guard your heart. Lust runs deep in those veins, <laughs> deep in those bones. If your mom was alcoholic and your grandmom was alcoholic and all your aunties struggle with that, you better guard your heart. Don't go to alcohol when you're stressed because you're probably going to become an alcoholic. It's going to grab a hold of you. Okay, And so this deception ran through the narratives of every single patriarch. They used deception as a form of self-preservation. And how often do we try to have self-preservation by using deception? Still, I mean, why do kids lie? Because they want to protect themselves. They don't want to get in trouble, right? It's the same reason usually we lie. And we need to be on guard against this because that's not the leadership God wants us to use. So there's also another reoccurring theme. I wanted to get into this even earlier because to me this is my favorite part of this message. This reoccurring theme is you reap what you sow, reaping what you sow, is a reoccurring theme that we see throughout the patriarchs, okay? And we really see it in the life of Jacob. Oh, my boy Jacob. Gotta love Jacob. <laughs> um, Jacob, uh, this echoing theme of deception goes even further to his ten sons of Jacob. The ten sons of Jacob deceived him by saying Joseph um, his son that was like his favorite son. Favoritism is another theme that we see in the patriarchs, okay? Well, they, they deceived him by saying he was dead when, when really they threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. But they took a goat and they took the goat's blood and put it on, on Joseph's favorite cloak that his father gave him. Now, check this out. 30 years prior to this, Jacob deceived his father. In cahoots with his mother, they took a goat. They, they put the fur on his hand to make him look a little more hairy. <laughs> and he deceived his blind, dying father so that he could get a birthright, so he could have leadership. These sons wanted leadership. Jo Joseph was sharing his dream because he was young and, and, and a little probably dumb. We don't have to share everything God tells us. Every dream you get, you ain't supposed to tell, okay? Not yet. Hold on to it. But, jo but Joseph, he's young. Oh, my gosh, if I could go back and fix some of the things I did early in ministry. <laughs> Sometimes your passion without, it's like knowledge without, or passion without knowledge, you know, zeal without knowledge. Like, you got to rein it in a little bit. And so here's, here's Joseph, and he's telling his brothers, oh, I'm, I'm you know, basically, I, I have these two dreams, basically, and the gist, they mean, y'all going to bow down to me, and I'm going to be the ruler. And they're like, what? You're, you're the youngest, you know, and they got mad. 
And they, they hated him. They despised him because of the favoritism. So they wanted to kill him, but instead they settled to sell him into slavery. And they deceived their father, who is named deceiver or trick, the trickster himself was duped. Because you reap what you sow. He deceived his father with the blood of a goat. And here now, he's being deceived by his sons with the blood of a goat. You reap what you sow. I believe God sent Jacob to Laban because Laban was basically just like Jacob. <laughs> yes. God was like, oh, okay, you want to be a player? Let me send you to the OG player of players. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, my south side comes out every once in a while, right? <laughs> He's like, oh, you think you're a trickster? You think you're, you, I mean, like, I, I picture Laban kind of like the godfather. That's how I picture him. Like, <laughs> I don't, don't try to get me to, do, if Josh was preaching, he could probably do the whole act and it'd be so awesome. I can't. But just picture, that was Laban. And God was like, okay, Jacob, I got a lesson for you. Because this is a thing, friends, you reap what you sow. Even if it's something you did 30 years prior, there's consequences. There's consequences. So when your teenager is driving you nuts and you don't remember how bad you used to be, let God remind you. <laughs> he wants to teach you grace, compassion, mercy. He wants to remind you, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And you will reap what you sow. It's a recurring theme. It's a recurring theme. What recurring themes and sins run in your family? I would encourage you to do um, what Pete Scazzaro calls a, a geneogram. And what that is, is you go through your family tree. Have you ever made a family tree? I know my daughter had recently had to do one for a project in school. But this is a faith geneogram. So you go through and you look at your parents. And you look at your father and your mother and you start analyzing different things that maybe they've struggled with, different patterns or issues. Maybe, they're, maybe they got a divorce. Maybe they dealt with, you know, maybe they were functional alcoholics. Maybe they had rage issues. Then you look at your father's parents, the mother and father. Maybe they dealt with divorce. Maybe they had functioning alcohol all, addiction. Um, <laughs> then you look at your mother's parents. And so on and so forth. And you start, and you go up if you, as far back as you can, maybe for most Americans, that probably only means to your grandparents or maybe your great grandparents. And look at these different patterns and see, oh my goodness, Josh and I, before we even knew to do this, for some reason, God showed us this. And so we went into our marriage with the holy fear of God because we looked at our, our, our histories. And although my parents were still married, we saw some things in there. And his parents were not married. And his, Parents' parents were not married. And my grandparents, uh, my grandma originally, she, she stayed with one husband but had a divorce in there. And there was adultery on, on different sides and alcoholism on different sides and addictions and different things. Anger issues, food issues, Lord have mercy. All kinds of different running to different things that we looked at. So when we went into our marriage, we went into it with a holy fear of God. I didn't go into it thinking, I will never cheat on my husband. I am so holy. No, I went to it saying, I need to put boundaries up in my life. He went into it saying, we need to put boundaries up in my life. I, I didn't go into it thinking, oh, I have never really been an alcoholic, so I never will be an alcoholic. No, I see this runs addiction runs in my family. So I went into it putting boundaries. The reason I don't buy beer for Josh great-grandfather's bare-battered famous fries is because I don't even want anyone to even look at me and think maybe she's drinking. I want to live above reproach. It's a boundaries I set up in my life to protect me. So I'm telling you, friends, do that geneogram. Look at your, your, your family tree and say, see the things that are there. Not to have a paranoia, but to have a holy fear of God that if it happened to your parents and your grandparents, don't think that, that it won't and, and can't happen to you because it can. Be careful when you think you stand lest you fall. So God, he gives us birthrights. He gives us blessings. He gives us leadership so that we can influence people and bring them to Christ. Are you reaping anything in your life right now that maybe was from a prior sin that you didn't really repent of? I'm going to encourage you. Take 
Repentance is for our good. It's so that we can be made right with God and man. Take some time and ask God to forgive you. He's faithful to forgive us. The Bible says he will take our sin as far as the east is from the west. But friends, again, it's obligations and entitlements. If you want that blessing, you want that leadership, that birthright, then you need to do what you need to do to be right with God. God gives us the gift of leadership and influence to bring people to him. Amen? All right, so boundaries. I started getting into it a little bit. But this is what boundaries is. We're going to wrap up with this. It's limits. It's limits. If I could say boundaries with one other word, it's limits. God promised the patriarchs land, offspring, and blessing, but they did not always understand the boundaries that God put there. So they failed to set limits in their life. If you have a difficulty setting limits or respecting other people's limits, then most likely you're emotionally immature. I had a problem with this for years. When someone told me no, I took it as personal rejection. I'm like, God's promises are yes and amen. Why are you telling me no? <laughs> I, I, I was like, no. <laughs> no was like a cuss word. I didn't like it. <laughs> and the Lord showed me that just like I want people to respect my boundaries, I have to respect other people's boundaries. <laughs> I will say this lesson was at least 10 years ago, maybe further, okay? So I am, I'm good. If you got to tell me no, It's not going to break my heart, okay? I'm good. (laughs) But this is the thing. We have to learn to respect one another's limits. Pete Scazzaro, as you guys probably know, he's one of my favorite people to follow. He's taught me so much about emotional, healthy living. This is is also some things I've learned through going through counseling. I've learned, for me, when I got saved, I wanted so bad to be perfect. (laughs) Right. That I didn't, you know, I, tr- I was a rule follower and, and became a little legalistic on some things. And the Lord had to show me that I am not, that definitely I am not perfect. He showed me that from the get because I kept messing up, <laughs> kept eating humble pie. And showed me that, you know what, if you want to eat a little less humble pie, because I always had to go, like, God, I had such a sensitive heart when I sinned against somebody, I always had to go apologize, and I felt like I was always apologizing, and it just got so boring, it got so boring, and so old, and like, oh my gosh, okay, help me, like, stop sinning before I sin, right, and that's when he showed me limits, and for me, a lot of it was my mouth, because I'm so extroverted back then, especially, the fourth child turned me into at least half of an introvert, I need some alone time now, right, but there was this, you know, a season I just, every thought I was, every thought I had came out my mouth. Like, I used everybody as my counselor until I got, until I realized, no, that's not healthy. I got to weigh my words. And I have to know for me, for myself, I can't meet other people's every need. And I'm talking about even my children and even my husband because I'm limited because I don't have the capacity to be Jesus for somebody I can only point to Jesus. I can only say, come on, let's pray together. But I did not die on the cross, even for my children, (laughs) right? And so I have to realize my own limitations. I'm just not good enough by myself. And I finally got to the place to say, man, as much, now I answer things differently. If someone asked me to go somewhere and do something, and I really want to, because, I mean, I'm telling you, I was such a man pleaser. I would want to, oh, go here, go here. And I'm not at home enough. I'm not serving my family enough. I'm not, you know, taking care of myself. And then my kids and my husband's getting the worst and you guys are getting the best. That's not cool. (laughs) I had to say, I had to start saying, um, you know, now sometimes when I meet with people, I have to schedule out. My my blondie over here, my sister is like, we got to schedule out three weeks ahead of time. It's not because I don't want to drop everything and go hang out and have fun with my friends, but it's because I have responsibilities and I'm not, I don't have the capacity to do everything I want to do because I have priorities in my life. There's parameters. There's boundaries that God has set in our life. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not realize the parameters that God put in their life. And so they're out here having sex with handmaidens, trying to have children, and birthing a nation that's going to be at war with the the people of Israel until Jesus comes again. (laughs) Friends, the boundaries in our life, guess who they're there to protect? Us. 
We have limits in our life. It's okay to say, I would love to go to this concert with you. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. But this point in my life, I, I stopped saying I'm busy because I used to be like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go, I'm busy. Busy means being understanding yoke. I'm, I try not to be super busy. I try to have margin in my life. I'm limited. Instead, I say, oh, man, I just, I don't have the, the, the space for that right now. I'm so sorry, but, hey, I'm going to, I'm thank you for asking. And sometimes I might say, hey, have you asked this person? Maybe they have a little bit more margin in their life right now. They can go with you, right? And that's okay. And I understand it. And when someone tells me no or I can't do it right now, I respect that. Because that means you're taking care of something more important, right? You're doing something else in your life that, that matters, and that's okay, we have got to emotionally mature, friends, because you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Another quote from Pete Scazzaro. You just can't. Boundaries are there for our good. From the beginning, God put boundaries. There was all kinds of trees in the garden. There was one that he put a boundary around and said, don't eat of this one. But, of course, <laughs> Adam and Eve our mother and father, <laughs> they had a taste of it. And friends, that's just like us so often the, that we don't respect boundaries that God puts in our lives. There's a boundary in our marriage. I can't just be a, having long conversations with different men on social media or through text messages. Why? Is it because, I mean, it, no, I don't, like, that's not even, <laughs> that's not even, that's you, that's not my issue usually. That's not an issue for me for the most part. That's not, but I know it, anything could. I'm not above it, right? I got to put boundaries around certain foods. I have not been the best at this over my life, right? I've got to put boundaries around certain activities and, and around and certain things that maybe someone else can do, but I can't do. Like, I have a hard time watching shows that have a lot of cussing. Because I worked really hard to tame this tongue. A lot of cussing, okay? So if we're watching, like, um, a, a action thing, that don't bother Josh. He got saved and gave up cussing and just it was like, boom, God just took it from him. I got saved, gave up cussing, and married him, and it came back on me. <laughs> I said, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little, okay? <laughs> so... <laughs> Don't buy me that T-shirt, y'all. Don't buy me that T-shirt. <laughs> but this is the thing. I had to watch certain things. I can't listen to certain music that drops the F-bomb every other word because it, it's going to come out of me if I hear it, right? Junk in, junk out. There's boundaries that I have to put in my life. And, friends, there's boundaries that you have to put in your life. Look at your genogram. Look at your family tree. See the things that are there and put those boundaries because too many people are stuck on stupid. I do marriage counseling. And people, it's like they go into, uh, uh, you know, things. And I, I, I'm not even talking about anyone right now in case anyone's watching because I am doing a wedding. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about previous Marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, things I've done. And oftentimes people don't want to put the work into it. Marriage is hard. The, the other day, um, one of my kids were in the car with me. This is, I'm telling you, parents, is the best talk time is when, when you're driving your kids places. So um, <clears throat> one of the kids were in the car, and it was actually a couple of them. I think I might have had a nephew in the car, too. We were going somewhere. I don't remember. I'm basically a mom Uber in the evenings. That's why I'm limited, y'all. <laughs> um, and so I'm taking them somewhere, and we are talking about the possibility and the intention of purchasing this land, as you know, has this building, and we can't wait to put a kids' church in here. Woo, won't that be nice? And, you know, it has different things. And we're just, we're dreamers, so we're like, oh, one day we're going to get, we'll get chickens, and we'll have eggs, and oh, well, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, when we, you know, we have a house over here, I'm like, we'll do young adult sleepovers and pancake mornings before we get here. We'll have church like Jamaica at least twice a month. We'll just eat and fellowship and have real community. I'm longing for that community, right? And we're talking, and we're this and that, and, um, the kids were, were asking different things, and they were asking, like, I don't know, pastor kids. They sometimes ask fun, fun questions. And so they were asking about our South Little Campus, and like, so are you guys, you know, um, so you guys, basically, dad is like the CEO. I'm like, well, I mean, I don't really like that terminology. It's very business terminology. And they were like, they're like, so who's like the final name on the final, you know, they're like asking good questions. I'm like, yes, okay, yes, your dad technically is the president of the board, and we have planted the, both of these campuses, so I guess if you want to say he's the CEO, and he's like, so you're the boss. 
right? And they're asking, like, these questions. And I'm like, well, God's the boss, but, you know, and I said, the reason we have a board is if there's parameters that are crossed or boundaries that are crossed, you, you know, they have the right to step into our life and fire, fire us. I said, for instance, if your dad cheated on me, I'm starting a jail ministry, he's getting fired. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, wait, so you could get fired if you sin? You know, I mean, these are kids that go to Christian schools, and, you know, you know, I, I love Gen Z that they ask a lot of questions, and they're little critical thinkers. I mean, look, they got the elder Gen Z right here himself. He's, he questions everything. And so it don't bother me. When kids question, don't get, oh, blah, 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 blah. don't get like that. Hear them out. I said, well, it's not just, it's not, okay, take the adultery off the table. It's not just sin, but, yes, if that, if that one happened, yes, we would be fired. I said, and this does happen. You could look how many pastors that have you seen get let go of their mega churches because they didn't have boundaries to keep them sexual purity in their life. So it does happen. I said, if we got a divorce, we would probably, and they're like, what? If blah, blah, blah. His, and then one kid was like, well, I guess I will never be in therapy because you and dad divorced. And I, I just laughed at his little snarky comment. I said, no, I'm sure there'd be other reasons we'll send you to therapy. <laughs> and in and, and this whole conversation, you know, the, the point of it was to teach them there's boundaries in our life. There's perimeters in our life. And guess what? When you cross a boundary, there's a consequence. Right? There's a consequence. You're going to get scratched up. You're going to get hurt. You're going to go through some things. It, it might take you longer to receive the promises that God has for you. And Jacob, he crossed a lot of boundaries. And he reaped a lot of things uh, uh, because he sowed those things. The scripture, uh, he, he, he really got it, though, when he was coming out and he was going back into, his promise, going into the promised land. Genesis 32, I want to read this to you, 24 and 29, and, and we're almost done. It says, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him to the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. Jacob was a thug, man. <laughs> He's like, oh, man, I, I, this is, it's, it's in the nighttime. Jacob can't see who this person is. Like, and, and, and Jacob, a man, was wrestling with God and, or an angel. We're not exactly sure. It's, it's, it's a little bit ambiguous here. But it says, basically, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put, put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Blessings, birthrights, boundaries. <laughs> and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, you, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him. Most theologians believe this was wrestling with God, whether it was Jesus or an angel or whatever. We're not really sure. But it was a, a wrestling with God. And this is the thing. Jacob wrestled with his brother in the womb. Jacob wrestled with his father. He wrestled with his father-in-law. He wrestled with people. And finally, he got to the point that he was wrestling with God, that he finally submitted and that's when his name was changed from deceiver to Israel. Friends, Jacob's struggle with God symbolized his struggle with his inner self. God wanted to enter into a relationship with Jacob. However, he couldn't do it until Jacob admitted his weaknesses. What's weaknesses? It's your limitations. It's the boundaries you have to have in your life. So he had to admit his weakness, his self-reliance, his deceit, his trickery. He had to confess these things. What struggles do you have in your inner self? We might hide them from people. We might hide them from people. But, friends, you cannot hide it from God. God knows what's happening in your inner life and your inner self. He knows when you're looking at pornography when no one's looking. He knows when you've just cussed somebody out at customer service when no one's looking. He knows how you behave when no one is paying attention. He knows the thought lives that are going on. If you're taking thoughts captive and making it obedient to Christ or if you're letting them go crazy. He knows these things, friends, and you cannot hide them from God. So you need to submit them to God. 
Because if you don't spiritually combat your inner battles, they will physically cripple you. Jacob had opportunity to submit before he had a limp, but he didn't do it then. But thankfully, he finally, finally submitted. And I believe God allowed him to have a limp to remind him, Jacob, you can't do this in your own strength. Jacob, you got to know your limitations. You ain't running the race anymore, son. You got a limp. It's to remind you that in your weakness, God's strength is made perfect. So Joseph here gets sold into slavery, like I said. And these sins of his fathers are right there. He could become bitter. He could become angry. But God eventually sends a famine to the land, and his brothers come back to him. And Joseph, sons of the patriarch, show us what true reconciliation, true forgiveness is. When he forgave them and provided for them. Joseph was a slave, and then he went to a prisoner. Then he went to the palace head, and he saved his brothers. And more importantly, he forgave his brothers. And we can see Genesis could be wrapped up in this verse found in the very end, Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. (laughs) But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Blessings, birthrights boundaries, what people mean for evil against you. Some of the hardest, most difficult times in your life is going to make the best ministry that's going to come forward. What they meant for evil, God means it for good. Would you stand up to your feet with me? Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you just close your eyes for a minute? Hasn't this been a great teaching series? Jesus. Jesus. I believe the Lord wants to do a work in his people today. I believe some of you guys are waiting to walk in the abundant life. You're waiting to walk in the leadership that God has for you. But there's some boundaries that you haven't placed in your life. There's some limitations that you have not acknowledged before the Lord. And he wants you to acknowledge those today. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand before the Lord? If that's you. If you want to acknowledge those limitations before the Lord, go ahead and just raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I also believe there's some people in here that probably have to, they have some unforgiveness. And man, unforgiveness, it it, it entraps you more than it does the other person that you're holding on to unforgiveness for. And listen, I'm not naive. I realize sometimes you have to walk by faith daily, multiple times a day, like Peter said, seven times a day. (laughs) Or seven times, no, it's seven times a day. It's 70 times 70, whatever, all the sevens. It just is a lot, it's a lot. (laughs) <laughs> that you have to forgive. I'm the type of person that I can love someone from a distance, but it's, it's very easy for me to cut somebody off and just say, okay, they hurt me. But man, that, that, that is my limit. That's, that's me having to admit my weakness, that I have a hard time sometimes with bitterness, and I've got to learn to forgive. If that's you in here and you've been dealing with some unforgiveness, would you raise your hand before the Lord today? 